Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. All right, well, let's go back to the life of Christ. Um, one of the interesting things, and, and one of the things that the apologists throw out, not the apologists, but the critics, is, well, look, you know, you've got this thing about Jesus, and who in the world is Jesus? All right? In fact, uh, I remember when I was going to college back in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a big thrust on the search for the historical Jesus. And all the liberals were trying to find out who the real Jesus was. Because, see, in their mind, the real Jesus is not the Jesus in the Bible. All right? The Jesus in the Bible to them is a mythological character. It's like Paul Bunyan and Babe the Big Blue Ox, you know. Um, It's certainly not a a historical figure. I mean, there may have been some historical kernel of truth behind it. But the real Jesus, the true Jesus, we don't know who he is. So we've got to somehow demythologize the Bible to, to... strip away what the church has accreted onto Christ and come up with who the real guy really was. And usually when they do that, you find that they have a Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible at all. That's what the History Channel and Discovery Channel do, and they're trying to figure out, well, who's the real Jesus? Where did Jesus get his message? He had to come from somewhere. The idea that he could actually be God is beyond them. Um, So, yeah, there had to be an explanation for it, all right? And so you have this real thrust for the, the quest for the historical Jesus. How can we find the historical Jesus? And there's been a lot of papers and a lot of trees killed trying to discover the real Jesus, the Jesus that really lived, not the Jesus of the Bible. Um, so when you look at the historicity of Jesus, you have, and by the way, there are some that say he didn't even exist at all. He's a purely mythological character. Um, so what I did is I basically adapted this material from a book called The Verdict of History by Gary Habermas. Anything you can read by Gary Habermas, read it. All right? Wonderful guy. Big teddy bear. Looks like a big teddy bear. Got a real good beard. Um, I took a course from him down at Liberty University. When we went down to Liberty University, remember when we went down there together? This is the guy I took the course from, Gary Habermas. Real wonderful guy. Um, but he's really probably one of the chief apologists for the Christian for Christianity right now. Written a lot of stuff on the resurrection of Christ, the historicity of Jesus, all of that stuff. So anything you can get by him, read. But there are some misconceptions about Jesus. You see them out there. Number one, did he ever live? I mean, there are some people that actually say he, he never existed. Now, if he did, um, he, there, was a, there was some Jew behind the myth but it was not Jesus. This was just a pure fiction. All right. There are others that say, you know, there may have been a real Jesus out there, but there's no way we'll ever know who he is because there's just too much myths about him. Um, there's too many stories. There's too many, too many um, legends that have come around Christ. Um, And this is the big, understand what the second point here is. The Gospels do not record the life of Christ. They record what the church wanted you to think was the life of Christ. 
In other words, it's a massive conspiracy. The gospel writers were not historians. They were legend tellers. They were writing a legend. They were writing a mythological account. So they embellished it with all kinds of stuff that the real Jesus would be appalled to find out people were saying about him. Um, there's no way that we could know the real Jesus. And others actually, you know, the liberals try to strip away the mythological Jesus from the real Jesus. And they assert that the early church actually developed the Christian faith apart from Christ. Christ started a couple ideas, but really the early church took that and evolved Christianity. All right. Now this is a this is a very important concept here to understand. And I think we talked about it earlier. Okay. Um, but when you look at the things like the Discovery Channel and History Channel and all of that kind of stuff. Their idea is that in the early church, or early Christianity, what you have is chaos. All right? It's chaotic. Um, you have all kinds of beliefs. You have all kinds of positions. You have all kinds of things going on. Okay? So, for example, what you have in their thinking is you have uh, this theology of Paul. Okay? And Paul had this kind of theology that basically talked about justification by faith alone, you know, apart from the law, apart from works, all that kind of things. But you also had the theology of James in there. Okay? And James, he was a more um, works-oriented. You see this sort of hinted at in the book of James. And, you know, also you have over here, you have uh, the Gospel of Thomas, okay, that gives a spin on the life of Christ. You also have all kinds of pseudepigraphal works in here. And epigraphal works. And you have all the other apostles each each having a little spin on things. And, and sort of what happened is you got all of this stuff sort of bubbling and percolating and, and all of that. And what happens is over a period of time, it starts to take form into what we know now as Christianity, all right? But the idea behind it here is that the idea of Christianity as truth is really a fictional concept. Really what it is, it is a mishmash and evolution of all these chaotic ideas that was solely over time, certain concepts became dominant and sort of took over, okay? And what happened is you see over a period of time, Christianity evolved out of this chaos, sort of like evolution, where you've got you know, all the organic chemicals and a few billion years later, the amoeba crawls out of the ooze. That's the idea behind a lot of their stuff, all right? And so, for example, this, this, this is not only with Christianity, but it's also with the canon of Scripture. You've got all this chaotical stuff over here, and somewhere along the line, you had this, this group of so-called experts that began to sort out and decide what we're going to accept and what we're not, and what we're going to deem as theology, and what we're not going to deem as theology. But the underlying current of that is that there are competing valid theologies that could have happened. Follow what I'm saying? Why is it that the theology of Paul 
sort of became dominant. Well, that's just sort of the luck of the dice or the roll of the dice. It could have been equally valid for the theology of James to have come to fore. Or maybe the theology of this Gospel of Thomas or maybe something else could have, could have come in there. Christianity is not something that's true because of its truth. It's something that evolved. And so what happened when it comes to Christ, our central figure, what you do is you have all these different views of Jesus and what he was and what he did, but it was all chaos. And what happened over time is you have this legendary figure sort of arise out of the ashes and become what we see Christ as being. But what we see of Christ as being now is, again, not based in historical fact as it is in the evolutionary process of developing a figure for your Christianity, for your religion. Make any sense? All right? Yeah, well, the problem is, that's what the liberals say. What do we know? We know that there was not chaos, right? Rally, rather, what do you have? You don't have chaos, you have conformity. What do you mean? Um, all the apostles all believed the same thing. There wasn't chaos. You didn't have Paul and Peter and James, you know, in a back room cutting deals as to whose theology is going to be the predominant theology of the church. They were all on the same page. Now, was there some minute details that they had to iron out? Well, yeah, they, there were those. You see that, what, in Acts 15, right? Jerusalem Council. But there's conformity. Everybody believed everything. And the people who created the Christian faith are people who are contemporaries with the Jesus. And had they been very far off of who the historical Jesus was, what would have happened to the Christian faith? It wouldn't have got off the launch pad, right? Because you'd have people say, wait a minute, I know the Jesus, and the Jesus you're telling me about in the Gospel of Matthew is not the Jesus I remember walking around Palestine. It's a whole different guy. I don't know where you're coming up with that. There's none of that. What you see is conformity. You don't see chaos. All right? But what they want to do, and they want to say, the liberals, is that no, everything was chaos. And out of this chaos sort of evolved this Christ figure that took upon him a certain form and uh, was made legendary by the early church in order to lend credence and support for its beliefs. They created a Christ. And they were all willing to die for a legend. Yeah, they're all willing to die for a lie. All willing to die for a lie. But that's what the liberals say. It doesn't even make sense. Like, why bother making a, like making a religion? It doesn't even make sense if you look at it that way. Right. Well, not only that, but usually if it's a man-made thing, you take away the leader, mm -hmm. it falls apart. Mm -hmm. What would your, what, what, your motive pot for like, all the years of persecution the church went through and like, just hunting of Christians? Why would you want to start that? What could possibly be worth it if you look at it from that perspective? Yeah. Well, the problem is there's a lot of holes in that. There's, I, I'm saying that's what that's what they that's how they want to view it. They go, oh well, there's a hole. It doesn't mean it's wrong. The same way they look at evolution. Well, evolution's got a lot of holes, but in their mind, it doesn't mean. It's but wrong. when you deny the inspiration, authority of scriptures, you deny the supernatural character of Christ. What are you left with? 
I mean, that's really where it comes down to. What it comes down to is they say, now, wait a minute, all right? And I'm sorry, I can't draw. Okay? You've got this, this, this Jesus here who's the real guy. But what has the church done? Well, the church has added all kinds of other stuff around this historical Jesus, like miracles, all his miracles, all of that stuff. Well, we know that there's no such thing as a miracle. We know that Jesus couldn't have fed 5,000 people. We know he didn't raise anybody from the dead. We know he couldn't heal the blind man. We have to strip that away. We have to somehow strip that stuff away to try and come down to the real guy underneath it all because we know that supernatural stuff doesn't exist. That, we know that that's not scientific. That's, that's you know, the, the ignorance and the primitive concept of the early people back then, but we, we're smarter than that. And that's what Thomas Jefferson said. Because they put Jesus in the same group as like Gilgamesh and yeah. uh, like Ulysses. And... Yeah, the real Jesus was not a miracle worker because you don't. There are no such thing as miracles, so he couldn't have done that. Um, and what they do is they make the gospel writers editors. What, the, what do they mean? They took all of these different competing thoughts and ideas of Christ and edited it out and, and came up with like a what they wanted this Christ to be. Not who he was, but what they wanted him to become or wanted him to be. All right? And there's a lot of guys that make a lot of papers and make a lot of money coming up with these screwy ideas. But they, they, they deny the historicity and reality of Jesus. All right? Um, Has anybody ever done an in-depth study of the teaching of Christ and then looking at how the disciples would reiterate it in their writings, that same information. I don't know if somebody's done that, but, but one of the problems with this is you've got a religion that has at its heart the concept of truth and honesty and integrity built on it and lie. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense, but here's the point. If you deny the supernatural, you've gotta, you can't explain it any other way unless you come up with some screwy theory like this. Right? There's no other way to explain it. It's like, it's like Babe Paul Bunyan and Babe the Big Blue Ox. Yeah, he was on the road, you know? Big, big. But, I mean, that's the legend. It's the legend of Paul Bunyan. And it doesn't... That, that's how they view it. Um... But the problem with, with trying to make the gospel writers editors, we already talked a little bit about this, they were all eyewitnesses of the accounts. It's not like Matthew didn't know about Jesus, just edited something together. He walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus. Now, he may have used various written sources, but he was a primary eyewitness of the events. He wasn't an editor. Um, that's interesting. This, this is fascinating. When you look at ancient literature, you go study ancient literature, say at Oberlin College or something. When it comes to the Bible, they, they approach it with this form-critical approach. What do we mean by that? The Gospels were editors. And we got to get back to the original sources from which they edited their material. That's called form criticism. The various literary genres, the parable, the, the, the sayings of Jesus, the historical narrative, that kind of thing. But they don't do that to any other stuff. They don't do that to Virgil's Aeneid. They don't do that to the 
Iliad. They don't do form criticism on any of that stuff. Why do they do it on the Bible? Well, if you're Satan, what do you need to do? You need to discredit it. Well, it does kind of make you think, like, there are lots of other religions out there, but, like, on TV and stuff, they never have broadcasts, like, oh, well, uh, finding the historical Muhammad or the historical Buddha. No, then you don't see that. And you don't see them applying form criticism to the Quran or to Bhagavad Gita or to the, all this other stuff, but they will to the Bible. See? That's because... Right. As loud as people who are for it, just like there's the only of all the more religion, the only that catches all this mm -hmm. criticism is the Bible. Right. Why don't the other other? And see, no other literature is treated like this. And the Gospels are very close in time to the events. I mean, the point is somebody could have picked up the Gospel of Matthew that was alive when Christ walked the earth, and he could read the Gospel of Matthew and remember what it was like to be in that crowd where he got fed along with the four thousand nine hundred ninety-nine other people. He could have remembered those events. He could have been eyewitnesses to that. If this was something that was pure fiction, you would find some rebuttal against that in history. You don't. It's not there. The concept of chaos producing a Christ is just not there. It's not there. What they want to also create, some have tried to create, is an historical Jesus without theology of miracles. Jesus was not a theologian. He was not a miracle worker, so what do you wind up with? Well, the Jefferson Bible. Anybody read that? You go out there and get the Jefferson Bible written by Thomas Jefferson, and I remember writing it, and basically it was a story of the life of Christ minus all the miracles and all the theology. And I remember very vividly the last paragraph, and he was crucified and died and was buried in a tomb. The end. Wow. That really made my day. Yeah, he's still calling uh, himself I, I a Christian. My name is something like that. Say, I'm not making it up. You go out and you read the Jefferson Bible. You, it's it's out there. I've seen pictures of it. It's just like you'll see. If he doesn't like, have that much belief in Christ. He can't be saved. No, he's not. He's not a Christian. He was a deist. He believed God was out there and sort of did some things, but a personal relationship through Christ, no. He had bought into the whole rationalistic approach. Yeah. And some say, well, one of the problems with believing in Christ is all we know of Jesus is written in this religious book. You know, where's, where's all the other accounts of him? Well, let's ask a question. There's a lot of other guys that live that we don't know a lot about, right? What about Pontius Pilate? You know much about him? He's not written about very much, is he? There's a lot of people that we don't have a lot of writing about. Doesn't mean that they're not historical figures and they existed. I they were extra there are. There are. We're going to look at some. Okay? Um, some have tried to make Jesus out to just be a fictitious person. So, completely fictitious. It was all made up. There was really no real Jesus at all. It was a pure concoction by the early church to try and lend support and credence to the ideas that they came up with. Um, some have tried to make him out to be a, ch a charlatan. This is the Passover plot. Jesus was trying to manipulate the prophecies to make him into something he wasn't. He's trying to pass himself off as the Messiah, but 
It all fell apart when the hero Judas wrote in at the last minute and exposed Christ as being the great fraud that he was. Sort of a hint of what you get in the Judas scroll that they recently found. Others trying to make Jesus an Essene. We talked about that earlier. You know, he was an ascetic. And where did he get his theology? Well, it was shaped by his environment. Well, what environment was he in? Well, he was sort of of the Essene environment. He was shaped by their theological ideas along with his cousin, John the Baptist, who was really an Essene, an ascetic. He was out in the desert by himself like the other Essenes. And this shaped his theology. And he came up with this sort of messianic message and was just caught up in a movement that before long he was made into something he didn't quite plan on becoming, but there he was. Um, some say Jesus is the Gnostic. What's that mean? He's got secret knowledge. He's one of the aeons between us and God. and He got some secret knowledge to help us sort of make our way up the supposed evolutionary spiritual ladder to Godhood ourselves. Then others have him being a world traveler. This is one been popularized by the New Age movement where Jesus really got his theology from the Indian, the Oriental people. And in his silent years between the time he was 12 and 30, he, he was a world traveler and he went throughout the world um, researching all kinds of religions. And so he came up with this theology by researching all the Near East religions. Um, so they have him going off to India to become a guru. Christianity seems to borrow from yeah. Some yeah. So what do we know about Jesus? Well, there are some ancient sources. Tacitus, um, living from A.D. 55 to 120, he, which means he was after the time of Christ, but he knew people that were contemporaries with that, said this about Christianity. Consequently, to get rid of the report, what report was that? Well, what did Nero do to Rome? He caught it on fire. Yeah, Nero fiddled while Rome burned, remember? And uh, some people say he burned down Rome because he wanted to build it again better, and he had all the slums, and instead of just evicting people from the slums, he figured he'd burn them out and start over again. So he started the fire. And uh, that was the rumor. So to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt, inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abomination called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had, had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Was Tacitus pro or anti-Christian? Yeah, pretty much so. But what, 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 what do you see here? What does this tell you? And who supposedly started it? Christus. Christ. Christ started it. And uh, why is it that Nero was able to affix the blame for burning of Rome on Christians? They were easy to hate. They were easy to hate, but what else did they teach? Well, well Peter, yeah, and Peter wrote that what's going to happen... At the end of the age, what is going to happen to the world? Yeah, so they're just acting it out. They're burning up Rome. 
because of their supposed Messiah who's coming back and you know they're gonna they're gonna sort of help him along. Um, but what it tells you is it, look at this. This is a, a a Roman historian who validates what Christ was crucified under who Pontius Pilate, a procurator, during the time of what Tiberius. When was that? That was when Christ was crucified on the reign of Tiberius Caesar. All right. So we got the time frame. We got the mode of death. We got the procurator. What's the support? It's supporting the biblical record. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is supporting the biblical record. Okay. Suetonius, another Roman writer, wrote this because the Jews at Rome caused content, continuous disturbances at the instigation of Christus. He expelled them from the city. Now, was that a true thing? Well, no. Christ did not cause them to do this. Um. But how did the world see them? Well, they didn't fit in. They didn't fit into the world system. They weren't one of us. And then he says this, after the great fire at Rome, punishments were also inflicted on the Christians, a sect professing a new and mischievous religious belief. What was the religious belief? Rose again. Mischievous belief. All right. Plus, if you put that in context, Caesar was God. Mm -hmm. He was a writer. Yeah. So anybody that exalted himself above Caesar or equal to Caesar would have been considered mischievous. Right. And you know, you know how the Jews got around that? Did the Jews proclaim Caesar as God? They had to to be a qualified religion. They didn't. How did they get away with it? You know that? Yeah. The way they got away with that is because, I mean, Rome, Rome, Rome was bad, but they were not quite as bad as sometimes you think they were. They, they tried to be somewhat accommodating as much as they possibly could. And one of the ways in which they accommodate Judaism is they basically said, okay, look, your religion forbids you to serve in the military and your religion forbids you to... Um, worship other gods. So, tell you what, twice a day in your temple, make an offering um, on behalf of Caesar, a burnt offering, and you can do your own thing. We won't bother you. So, that's what they did. Every, every day, twice a day, they had an offering, not to Caesar, but in behalf of Caesar. They were not offering a goat. Yeah, they weren't offering a goat to Caesar, but they were they were making a sacrifice in his name, you know, sort of showing their submission to Rome. And so Rome allowed them to get away with that by not, you know, pouring out a drink offering and saying Caesar is God. They were able to get away with that. Christians didn't do that, though. Christians would not acknowledge Caesar as Lord. And because of that, they became persecuted. But what do you see here? Well, you see that there's historical records showing the, the beginning or the spread of Christianity, and he's mentioned Christ by name. Josephus, who's he? He's a Jewish historian. Um, time of the 
Jewish revolt. He was a he was a general in the Jewish army, and he uh, when his army was captured, he became a um, a servant to Rome, and basically he wrote a history of the Jewish revolt. We have those Jewish antiquities. He says this about Jesus. Would that be when the temple was destroyed? Yeah. In yeah. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. What's he hinting? More than a man. There's something a little bit different about this guy. For he was one who wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ. He appeared to them alive again the third day as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. What do you get the idea about from Josephus here? Well, you get the idea that Jesus lived, right? Mm -hmm. And what kind of person was he? He was more than just a regular person. Yeah, he wasn't a regular old Joe that was just caught up into something. There was something different about him. And he even mentions the resurrection, right? Mm -hmm. But Josephus would have been alive at the time of some of the apostles. Yes. Spoke to eyewitnesses. And Josephus was most likely alive when Christ was crucified, possibly. I don't know his exact age. I don't know when he lived or died. I don't have that information. But he was certainly close to the time of Christ. And he could have talked to people that knew Christ firsthand. And what's he saying? He's just saying, hey, I mean, he's lending credence to the, the gospel record that this was more than just a man. He did amazing feats. He rose the third day. So Jefferson got that at least wrong there. I mean, this was very early on that you have this. Pliny the Younger, who's he? He's a Roman official. He says, they, talking about the Christians, were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day because before it was light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God, and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to any wicked deed, but to never commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust, when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was custom in their custom to separate, and then reassemble to partake of food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. What's he doing there? He's talking about the early church. And what was the, what was the characteristic he had there of the early church? What was one of the, this is, a, this is a Roman pagan historian talking about the early church. What's one of the things he says is true about it? They worship Christ. Their moral character, what is it? Never to commit any fraud, never to falsify their word. You're telling me the entire Christian faith has as a major tenet not to lie is built itself upon a whole bunch of lies yeah. and pure fiction. Interesting. That's not what they're saying. And look, look for you got to understand something here. He's not writing three, four, five, six hundred years after the facts. He's writing a couple of decades after the facts. He's writing when there are contemporaries alive that knew Christ. He's not writing, you know, of, of, of somebody that he's not seen. So, this lends significant historical credence to the historicity of Christ and to the claims that the New Testament has and it's a blow against those who want to say that Christianity was a completely fictitious religion, completely made up. 
Nothing's made up. It's all there. Emperor Trajan. Oh, here's, here's an emperor. What's the emperor have to say? The method you have pursued, my dear Pliny, in, shift, in sifting the cases of those denounced to you as Christians is extremely proper. Um, during the time of Trajan, Trajan, there was a persecution against Christians. And uh, Pliny, he, he was one of those guys that always wanted the boss to know what was going on. Seemed. And uh, he, he wrote Trajan and asked him and told him that this is how I'm dealing with the Christians. And Trajan writes back saying, yeah, you're doing a good job. Because what was happening is people were denouncing Christians. Well, if you hated somebody and you want to cause misery for them, just denounce them as a Christian. So he, he, Pliny actually went through some processes to make sure, are, is it really true that what they're saying? It is not possible to lay down in any, any general rule which can be applied as the fixed standard in all cases of this nature. No search should be made for these people. When they are denounced and found guilty, they must be punished, with the restriction, however, that when the party denies himself to be a Christian and shall give proof that he is not, that is by doing what? How did you give proof that you were not a Christian? Ignore, by adoring our gods, by pouring out the labellum, by proclaiming Caesar as Lord. He shall be pardoned on the ground of repentance, even though he may have formerly incurred suspicion. In other words, if, he's, if, the guy, if somebody accuses him of being a Christian, he comes in, he offers an offering to Caesar and bows down to Athena, whether he was a Christian or not, pardon him. Let him go free. Yeah. Information without the accuser's name subscribed must not be admitted in evidence against anyone as is introducing a very dangerous present and by no means agreeable to the spirit of the age. In other words, if, some, if, you, if you're the judge and you get, somebody says Joe's a Christian, but the accuser is not there, don't accept it. Don't accept, you know, um, tips. If you're not willing to come and say, Joe's a Christian, I'm Alan, and he's a Christian, don't accept it. So what's, what do you see here with this one? You see persecution. Well, they give them a chance to deny it, which means they could have lived. So if they would have, they had the opportunity to reject Christ, an awful lot of them didn't. Right. What was the mark of them not, of being Christian? Well, they'll die. They won't. They will not. Yeah. Now you see that with Emperor Trajan. Emperor Hadrian, here's another one. I do not wish, therefore, that the matter should be passed by without examination so that these men may neither be harassed nor opportunity of malicious proceedings be offered to informers. If, therefore, the provincials can clearly evince their charge against the Christians so as to answer before the tribunal, let them pursue this course only, but not be mere petitions and mere outcries against the Christians. For it is far more proper if anyone should bring an accusation that you should examine it. Blah, 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 blah. If somebody claims to be a Christian, examine it, check it out, but don't just take hearsay. So what does that imply? Well, the Christians were still around, right? And he talks about Christians. Christ ones. Hadrian had that. Lucian. He's another one. The Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. 
Solution, says there's Christ. Marabar Sepian, Serapion. What advantage did the Jews gain from executing their wise king? It was after this that their kingdom was abolished. What's he saying? Who was responsible for the death of Christ? The Jews. And what happened afterwards? They lost everything. Lost everything. Well, you know, what do they say? His blood be on us and our children. And God said, okay. Well, look through history. Look through history. What do you see here with these? All right. You don't see a life of Christ in historical records, but you do see what? Existence. Yeah. Legally, if in a court of law, Christ exists. You've got multiple eyewitnesses from multiple time periods, no collusion, all saying the same thing. What does that mean? It's true. And you even get hinted, hints here of what Christ was, what they thought Christ was really saying and doing. So was Christ a real personage in history? Yeah, he was. Um, who was it? Lee Strobel's, it was Lee Strobel the one that tried to disprove Christ and wound up becoming a Christian? Yeah. A lot of people have done that. Yeah. Christ has really existed. And so this concept of somehow the church has accreted all kinds of stuff on it, well, it would have had to be the same with them because that's what they said, right? That's what Josephus said. That's what some of the other guys said, that Jesus did miracles. So it can't be totally fictitious. The problem is if you deny the supernatural authority of Scripture, what, do you want, what are you left with? You're left with your own little ideas. And all bets are off. All bets are off. Okay, well, let's quit there tonight. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for tonight, for teaching us in this time together. Thank you for bringing us out safely and help us to learn more about your Son in this weeks ahead. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.